Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Blake Sherman. I'm the young adult minister here, and I'm super excited to talk with you. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 14. We'll give you a second. While you're getting there, I just want to kind of tell you about something. So I was reading about uh, this tomb. Okay, so there's this tomb that the emperor of Rome built about like 1,500 years ago. Built it for his sister, and they say it's beautiful. If you go inside this tomb, you walk in, it's, it's shaped uh, like a cross. So you walk in, it's shaped like a cross, but it has these vaulted ceilings. And as you look up at the ceiling, there's this beautiful mosaic. They say it's one of the most beautiful mosaics that we have preser- preserved from that time period. And they say when you look up, you see... Uh, these stars against this indigo background, and in the middle is uh, Jesus, the good shepherd, and around him are all of his sheep against this emerald paradise, and they say it's breathtaking. The only thing is, if you went today as a tourist, you might be a little disappointed when you walk in. Because what happens is whenever you walk in, it's a tomb, so it's dark. You can't see anything. And there's all these people that will crowd in the room, and there's a couple of windows that would let light in, but because there's so many people in the room, the light won't be able to come in, and so it's just dark, and you can't see this beautiful mosaic that you came to see. But if you're patient, and you wait, and you just keep looking up, randomly, sporadically through the day, they have spotlights that will turn on for a matter of seconds, and it'll light up this vaulted ceiling, and everyone will go, ooh, ah, you know, and everyone just takes it all in, and people say there's so much beauty that your eye just can't even take it all in. And, you know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, a lot of us, we live spiritual lives like that. We have these moments where we're following along with Jesus, we're going about it, and there's moments where just, like, things light up, and we go, oh, I get it. I see it. This is breathtaking. And then it shuts off. And then we kind of go about, you know, the darkness and the shadows and the hard realities of our day-to-day lives. You know, this is a, a moment in the, in the scripture where Jesus, like, the lights just turned on uh, at the transfiguration. So what ha- had happened right before this passage that we're going to look at is they had been up on this mountain, and they'd been following Jesus. Jesus took three disciples with him, and it said that his face began to shine like the sun, and then Elijah appeared and 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 started speaking with him, Elijah and Moses, and they were realizing, okay, all the law and the prophets have been pointing up to this moment. Jesus is actually who he said he is. And then a cloud descends upon them, and they hear a voice say, this is my son, listen to him. It was like a moment where they realized, oh, wait, Jesus actually is who he says he is. Everything had lit up, and then they came down the mountain. Had this great mountaintop experience, and they come down the mountain. And what we're going to find is that the other nine disciples have not had that experience. These three had been just like, just a breathtaking moment of just seeing God in all of his goodness and his fullness. And then they come down the mountain and they're greeted by nine disciples. They haven't seen that. They haven't seen it all light up. They haven't seen the mosaic and the beauty of the moment. So we're kind of like juxtaposing these two positions and looking at it. And so I don't know what position you're in today. You might be in the position of the three and you just say, man, God's good. I can see him at every turn. This is wonderful. Or you might be like the nine, and you're like, yeah, I've seen, I've seen brief moments of God being good. Um, I, had, I had my summer camp experience. I went on that mission trip. I came back with what, you know, they call that spiritual high. But over time, things just kind of faded, and it kind of feels like I'm in the dark again. It kind of feels like I'm in the shadows. Wherever you are, this passage is going to have some questions for your faith. And I want to look at what it means to have a defiant faith. And the way we're going to do that is by looking at some people 
that are accused of being faithless. So, if you have your Bible, we're going to start in verse 14. Let's dig into it. So when they came to the crowd, they'd just come down the mountain. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they cannot heal him. Then look at the way Jesus replies. A different tone from Jesus that we're used to. Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long am I going to put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Let's just pause right there. This is really interesting. So they come down the mountain, and what we read in other gospels is that there's actually an argument that is broken out, and there's scribes and teachers of the law, and they're all there, and there's this argument, and this guy comes out to Jesus, and he says, hey, my son is suffering greatly. He has these seizures, and sometimes he's thrown into fire, sometimes into water. He's suffering. I need you to heal him. I went to your disciples, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus' reply was not the calm, cool, collected Jesus. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. If I was in that moment, I'd be like, why don't you just tell me a parable again? Tell me a story or something. He says, no, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How am I going to put up with you? How long do I need to stay with you? And then to make matters worse, it's like, bring the boy to me. And he like rebukes the demon that it's done, you know. Uh, but he's just like, he seems exasperated. Like, what's going on? You know, I, I was thinking about that. And, you know, really, he is talking to the generation. He's talking to that crowd. He's walking up to the crowd and he's saying, you unbelieving and perverse generation. He is talking to the crowd, but it's amplified because of his disciples, because he's left, and he's found out that his disciples have not remained in the faith. Like, they haven't remained faithful, trusting in him, pushing into him, and so they can't do the ministry that Jesus is calling them to do. And so he's showing up, and it's amplified by the actions of the disciples, because the disciples are blending into this generation. The disciples look just like the crowd. They might as well be in the spats and the arguments in the crowd, looking like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees but they look just like this generation. And what we learn is that Jesus becomes exasperated when his disciples look like this generation. So the natural question I had for myself is, uh, does my faith blend in with this generation right now? Does my faith blend in or does it look different? Does it look like that kind of like defiant, different kind of faith that Jesus is looking for? It reminded me of uh, when Karen and I first got married, early on in our marriage, uh, we were kind of looking for community, and I was working at a coffee shop at the time, and I decided I would just reach out to some of my coworkers. A lot of my coworkers uh, had been involved in church, but kind of had gotten distant over time, or maybe they didn't even believe in God, but they knew I believed in God, and so we would have, you know, religious conversations about scripture, philosophical, all over coffee, right, <laughs> you know? And uh, just over time, I kind of had gained some trust with them. So I said, hey, how about y'all come over to my house? You bring uh, a part of the meal, and we'll just sit down and talk about the book of Acts. And uh, shockingly, they all said, yeah, let's do it. And so I had all these people over in our little apartment, and it was great. We had great conversations about Jesus, and some people were Christians. They were, you know, pouring in efforts, and then other people weren't, and they would, you know, offer challenging takes. But I remember one time, 
And Kara and I were talking about this last night and laughing about it. Uh, but there was one time, there was a guy that he would say that he was not a believer of Jesus. And we're reading the book of Acts and we're reading through it. And we read something that the early church did. And he said, he goes, man, this is awesome. And of course, like all the Christians are like, you know, <laughs> you know, he's like, this is awesome. And we're like, yeah, and he goes, man, why doesn't the church do this? And it's like, oh, <laughs> you know, like dagger, you know. That he could look at it and go, man, I see the call of Christ. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. Why don't Christians do this? And I was thinking about it. It's like Jesus could have walked in into my apartment, that tiny little apartment. He could have walked in. And then my friend could have gotten up, went to Jesus and said, hey, I read this. That's really cool. Could you show me this? Because your disciples haven't. What would have Jesus said in that moment? Would he have said, you unbelieving and perverse generation? Maybe. <laughs> he might have. It was, it was heartbreaking because it was a moment that I realized that my friend, he hadn't seen a distinction between believers and this generation. We had blended in. And to him, it just seemed like a cool idea. Why, not, why don't we try it? They've never tried it. But what we do so often is what we do with our faith, we tame it. And we make it fit in with this generation. A.W. Tozer, he said this. He said, many of us Christians have become extremely skillful in arranging our lives so as to admit the truth of Christianity without being embarrassed by its implications. We arrange things so that we can get on well enough without divine aid while at the same time ostensibly seeking it. Catch this. He says, we boast in the Lord, but watch carefully that we never get caught depending on him. It's really convicting. He says, you know, a lot of Christians, what he's saying is a lot of Christians, what they do is they carefully organize their lives to look like they can verbally agree with all the claims of Jesus to, you know, have this cultural ascension to, I'm a Christian, but everything else in our lives is organized in a way that we don't have to depend upon him. So what we'll do is we'll say, hey, uh, yeah, I'll go to Sunday morning. I might even go to Wednesday nights. Um, actually, you know what, church, you give me your church programming and I'll look at my schedule and I'll work it out to make sure I can come to most of it, but I'm still gonna chase all the things that this generation chases. I'm gonna put all my trust in all the things that this generation trusts. You just tell me and I'll work it out with my schedule. But what Jesus is saying here is that our faith needs to be defiant of this generation. That he doesn't call us and say, hey, work me into your schedule. He says, no, I need your life to be completely dependent upon me. If you're gonna have that white, hot, defiant kind of faith, it's gonna come from complete dependence on Jesus. And that's what we're gonna find out next. Look what happens. The disciples decide that they're gonna try and troubleshoot this, you know? So Jesus drives out this demon, and then the disciples, verse 19, came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So the disciples decide that they're going to try and troubleshoot this. After all, in Matthew 10, Jesus had given them authority to drive out demons. He'd already done that. And we read from other gospels that they had driven out demons before. So now they're encountering a demon that they haven't been able to drive out. And they're like, what went wrong? What's going on here? Um, past couple of weeks, I was trying to record something um, and I have, you know, my computer and my mic and all this kind of stuff. And I put my mic on the stand and I looked at my computer and I could tell that the audio wasn't coming through. There were no levels 
sound wasn't coming through, so I was like, man, what's going on? So I like pulled open my preferences, and I was checking like the input, all the stuff I don't even understand what I'm doing, but then I was looking at my software, and I went to Google, and Google's like, you should update your music software, so I updated my software, and then it was like, actually, you should update your computer software, so I updated my computer software. This is about like an hour into it, still haven't recorded anything. Eventually, I get frustrated, stand up, I shut my laptop, and behind my laptop are where the cables are, and I realized the mic was never plugged in. You know? And you know what's really interesting is I think what we like to do is we like to try and troubleshoot our faith. So tell me like all the things that are going on, but Jesus, he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't say, well, you know, what went wrong with this demon is that you weren't relevant enough. You know, you got to get the new sandals. You got those old things. Get the new sandals. You know, you're not relevant enough. Come on, you got to push in, be, be more edgy. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, what's your devotional life look like? Have you heard about the new Matt Chandler study, the Beth Moore book? Have you... You looked in this? You should check out this podcast. It really touches down on demonic possession. He doesn't do that. What he says is you have little faith. Something I've never said in all my years of counseling. I've never sat down with someone like, the problem is you just don't have any faith. That's what Jesus says. He says, let's not beat around the bush. It's not anything on the peripheral. It's at the core. It's at the source. And it's that you don't have faith. That is your problem. And before this, he had said that four times. Four times before this, he'd referred to them as, you have little faith. And now he actually just spells it out, because you have little faith. I've been calling you little faith for a while. Now I'm going to spell it out for you, because you have little faith. That's why. And so what we're learning is that the reason their authority wouldn't work in this moment is because they didn't have faith. That authority, spiritual authority and faith are deeply connected deeply connected. And what Jesus is saying is the reason you couldn't draw upon my authority is because you weren't having faith in me. You weren't pushing into me. If you want my authority, then you have to have trust in me. You have to be dependent on me. So the only thing we can guess is that the reason it wasn't working, they'd driven out demons before, but now they'd made their way down the road and they weren't able to do it anymore. It's probably because they stopped being dependent on God. They thought that they could do it themselves. I don't know. They got so busy and in the throes of ministry that they forgot to rely completely upon him for everything. You know, the, the moment that we forfeit faith, we forfeit authority. It's true. The moment that you, you forfeit faith in Christ is the moment that you forfeit spiritual authority that he's entrusted to you. That's what's true of ministry. And too often what we try to do is we try to run on ahead and figure out ourselves, but we need to push into him, to surrender to him. That's when change begins to happen. I can't tell you how many times someone's telling me about like a hard time in their life and, you know, they want transformation to happen in their life. And I just say, well, it just begins with rest in him. It begins with acceptance in him. It begins by just staying put in Jesus, and that's where all the change begins to happen. But what we want to do is we want to run out, and we want to do everything ourselves. But what we're learning is that we have to rest and sit with Jesus. We have to trust his authority, push into his authority if we want his authority in this situation. We have to have faith. Look at this. He says something really interesting. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You know, that claim probably makes a lot of us uncomfortable. 
Because he's basically saying, what's possible with faith? Another way you could ask it is, what's possible for God? Nothing is impossible, right? Nothing is impossible for God, and that's what he's saying. He says, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, just tiny, if you just have that, you could say this mountain to move, and by the authority of Jesus, it will move. Nothing is impossible. And I was thinking about that claim of Jesus and how it makes us so uncomfortable, and it really is countercultural. Dallas Willard, he said, we live in a culture that has for centuries now cultivated the idea that the skeptical person is always smarter than the one who believes. You can almost be as stupid as a cabbage as long as you doubt. It's pretty harsh. But what he's pointing out is true. He just says, we, we live in this culture right now that if, if you're skeptical, if you doubt, if you're unbelieving, if you are cynical, then you're seen as a, as a wise and rational person. But that can be further from the truth when it comes to the Gospels. That actually, the wise person is the one that has trust. The wise person is the one that has belief. The one that has faith. You know, and it's, it's interesting because even in church sometimes, I feel the need to justify the claims of Jesus. You know, when God's calling me to do something, to not just say, God called me to do it, but to say, and also secular psychology. And I just surround, you know, Jesus with all these other claims to support what Jesus is calling me to do. But really, I just need to lean on him, trust him, and put faith in him. Don't we need to do that? To just have faith? And that faith, it says that it can do the impossible. The impossible. You just go through the scriptures, right? When Abraham was promised, he said, hey, Abraham, you are going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. What made that possible? When Joseph had been sold into slavery, thrown in prison, and then eventually would become the second right-hand man of Egypt, what made that possible? What makes this possible? When you get up tomorrow morning and you get on your knees and you tell Jesus, I'm going to follow you despite all the complexity and all the craziness of the day, I'm going to surrender to you, what makes that possible? Faith. Faith means the conquering of impossibility. That's what it means, that nothing is impossible for him. And, you know, even as I say that, just because of our culture, I feel the need to caution that and to kind of qualify what I mean by nothing is impossible. But Jesus doesn't qualify. Jesus says you can move mountains and nothing is impossible. That's what he says. There is no qualification. He just says, yeah, that's what you can do. And so often what we want to do is we want to pull back and say, yeah, but what you mean is technically this, right? And say, no, what I mean is you can move mountains. That's what I mean. But we have to have the kind of faith that rises above our cynical generation. We don't want to blend in anymore. And, you know, the hard thing about all this is that what we sometimes boil it down to is that we just think, well, you're just telling me to be optimistic. It's like, no, I'm not talking about optimism. That's not what I mean by faith. I don't mean just like a blind belief that things will get better. Leslie Newbegin, he had this great line where he said, I'm neither pessimistic nor optimistic. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. There's a great line. He's basically saying, it's not based on any kind of future circumstance. I'm not thinking about where things could go in the future. I'm talking about a reality that is true right now is that Jesus Christ is Lord. If he's Lord, then I'm going to base my life on that. I'm not pessimistic or optimistic. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and that's the defining point of my reality, and I work from that moment. You know, the hard thing about this passage is that it's really, you know, what we want to do is we want to make it about our personal our personal needs. And I think you could do that. 
I think it's fine to make that. But really what this is about is disciples in the thick of ministry and their ministry isn't panning out. And so some of us, what we need to do today is God's inviting you. He's saying, hey, you know that thing I've been calling you to do for a while? That ministry I want you to get involved in? That relationship I want you to invest in? That place of ministry that I'm calling you right now? I actually want you to step into that with faith. And you need to do that. That could be what he's asking you to do today. Because often what I've experienced is that Jesus, he won't stir up emotions of faith. He just gives me an opportunity to be obedient and to step into it. I wasn't going to share the story, but um, I got time, so I'm going to do it. There's a, when I was 18, I took a gap year in England. I had a moment where I really didn't know if I like, even believed in God. I was serving at a church, and my faith was just so rocky. My ministry had just failed over and over. No one was coming to know Jesus. And I remember one night I was out on, it's very picturesque, I was out on a cliff looking over the North Sea, and I was praying to God, and I was really angry just frustrated. I was like, God, I don't even know if I believe in you. You know, like, God, would you just give me a sign? You know, which none of my theology would say to pray now, but I was like, God, would you just give me a sign? And uh, just trek with me here. But as soon as I said, God, would you give me a sign? I saw a blue light turn on down on the beach. And uh, me as an 18 year old, I'm like, this is it. You know, this is the moment, you know. So I get down on the beach and you know how things are on the beach. Everything's like, much further away than you would imagine. So I end up walking for like 30 minutes towards this blue light. And the entire time I'm like, it's gonna be an angel. Don't, don't, you're, you're being an idiot. Like, you know, like just going back and forth in my head, like I'm gonna see something divine. The other part is like, no, it's probably not. And so I'm doing this the whole way. And I get there wondering if I have faith. I'm wondering if God's about to prove faith to me and just make me so sold out to him. And what I find is a fishing pole and there's a blue light at the top of it. And the guy's watching it bounce with the waves. So I felt like an idiot. And uh, but I'd made up my way all the way over there and I just said, hey, how's it going? And I started talking to this guy. He asked me about my accent. I tell him I'm from Texas. Uh, he tells me, you know, after we start talking about what I do, he's like, oh, I gave up on church a long time ago. So I start telling him about the gospel, telling him about Jesus, trying to invite him into a relationship with Christ. And this isn't a story where, where he's like, and then he accepted Christ. That didn't happen. Finished the conversation, it was a good conversation, and I left. But on the way back, I realized at that moment that that was an act of faith. That I wanted all the emotions, that I wanted all the feelings to believe, but what God did instead of giving me a big science, he just gave me an opportunity to practice my faith. And that's what God's offering you today. He's not saying, hey, what you need to do today is just really stir up the faith deep within and then go out and do the ministry. He's saying, I'm just going to provide tons of opportunities for you to trust me, and you just go do it, and you trust me. That's what he's inviting you to today. What is the thing that he's been inviting you to for so long? Where's the place that you need to place faith in him and just go about it? Trust him to provide the ministry. Trust him to provide the work and just see him show up. We're gonna, what we're going to do now is we're going to respond with a song. And uh, I, asked, I texted Art in the middle of the service because I heard the first song. I said, man, we got to close with that song. And it's an upbeat song. Um, but, you know, this can be a reflective moment for you. But it might also just be a moment where you plant your feet in the ground and you proclaim to God, hey, God, I believe in you. I trust you. I believe that you can move mountains. Whatever is impossible in front of me right now, I think that you can do something about it. And so I'm going to live a life 
dependent upon you, trusting you, and seeing you show up. Let's do that. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for your word. God, forgive us for whenever we just blend in. God, forgive us whenever we look like our generation, when we seem so faithless. God, we don't want to be we don't want to be the skeptics, the cynics. We want to be the people that push into you. We trust you to show up and we see you. God, forgive us for whenever we want to qualify what you can do. Whenever we want to say, you know, where your limits are, God, there are no limits for you. And I pray right now that for people in this room that um, they see a place in their life where they need to have faith in you, particularly in ministry, God, and they would be obedient. That they'll put their weight on your word. They'll go out, they'll do what you said to do, and they'll trust you, and they're going to see you show up. God, help us to not look like the crowds. The crowds are always amazed. They always think Jesus is cool. It's incredible that he would do something like that. But the disciples, God, we are the ones who need to hear your word and do it. Solidify in our hearts right now. Let faith arise in this place. We love you, Lord, and we trust you with everything. In your name we pray.